Two men made grand entrances at the beginning of Passover that year, perhaps even on the same day, perhaps even at the very same time. Two very different processions made their way through the gates at the opposite sides of Jerusalem. Two very different processions that embodied two very different sets of values, two very different visions of the world. Pontius Pilate was the prefect of the Roman province of Judea, the man charged with keeping the peace among the conquered Jewish population. For most of the year, uh, he ruled from a, a port city called Caesarea Maritime. On a pilgrimage to the Holy Land a few years ago, our group visited Caesarea Maritime. It's, a, it's an incredibly picturesque, beautiful location right on the shores of the Mediterranean Sea. A wonderful place, actually, for the Roman prefect to call home. But each spring, Pontius Pilate temporarily moved his headquarters to Jerusalem. And that's because at Passover each year, during the annual celebration of the Jewish people's deliverance from slavery in Egypt, the population of Jerusalem grew to perhaps as much as five times its usual size because Jews from all over the world made pilgrimage to the temple at Passover to commemorate how God had, had conquered their Egyptian overlords and liberated them from tyranny. Their current Roman overlords ruled them harshly and violently, and consequently, sedition and rebellion were always in the air in the first century AD never more so than during the, the festival each spring that celebrated their freedom from tyranny. And so at the beginning of Passover each year, Pilate moved his headquarters to Jerusalem intent on heading off any potential issues with his Jewish subjects. He arrived at the gates of the holy city with a, a typically imposing Roman show of force, cavalry and foot soldiers, swords and spears, armor and chariots and war horses. Pilate was a ruthless and violent man, and his message was clear. Your God may have delivered you from the Egyptians. We are not the Egyptians. Entering from the West, on the road from his usual headquarters on the Mediterranean Sea, having left the beautiful, picturesque palace that was his home for the rest of the year, Pilate would have been in a foul mood, leading troops who were wary and on edge and suspicious of the subjects that they were coming to keep in line. This procession from the West was intended to be an intimidating demonstration of Roman power, a clear symbol of the might of the greatest empire in the world at the time. At its best, the Roman Empire made an enduring and invaluable mark on Western civilization, to be sure. Its, its accomplishments were many and lasting. We, of course, are the beneficiaries of those accomplishments, the inheritors of the, of the legacy of that, those great advancements in architecture and engineering and politics and literature and philosophy and art. 
But those accomplishments and advancements were accompanied by a brutal cost in human misery and suffering, including exploitation of the poor and oppression of the powerless and the use of violence against their perceived enemies, often with almost, almost unimaginable cruelty. Not to mention discrimination against religions that were unlike their own, certainly in Judea in the first century. All of this was embodied in the procession that was entering Jerusalem's western gates at the beginning of Passover that year. Meanwhile, from the east, the opposite side of town, down the Mount of Olives, on the road from Galilee came a procession reflecting a very different set of values, a very different vision of the world, a procession intended to confront the excesses and injustices both of the empire and of the Jewish religious authorities whose own power depended upon their cooperation with Rome, a procession that we have come to know as Palm Sunday. The two men leading these two very different processions would be face to face by the end of the week with monumental consequences for the course of human history. We'll tell that story in the coming days. For now, we need to talk about that procession from the East. As the first gospel to have been written, Mark gives us our earliest account of Palm Sunday, and we're gonna be reading what is the lectionary gospel text for today from the 11th chapter of Mark. These are verses 1 through 11. Listen, friends, for the word of God as it is proclaimed by God's servant, the evangelist Mark. When they were approaching Jerusalem at Bethphage and Bethany, near the Mount of Olives, Jesus sent two of his disciples and said to them, go into the village ahead of you and immediately as you enter it, you will find tied there a colt that has never been ridden. Untie it and bring it. If anyone says to you, why are you doing this? Just say this, the Lord needs it and will send it back here immediately. They went away and found a colt tied near a door outside in the street. As they were untying it, some of the bystanders said to them, what are you doing untying the colt? They told them what Jesus had said, and they allowed them to take it. Then they brought the colt to Jesus and threw their cloaks on it, and he sat on it. Many people spread their cloaks on the road, and others spread leafy branches that they had cut in the fields. Those who went ahead and those who followed were shouting, Hosanna, blessed is the one who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is the coming kingdom of our ancestor David. Hosanna in the highest heaven. Then he entered Jerusalem and went into the temple, and when he had looked around at everything, as it was already late, he went out to Bethany with the twelve. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. So in Mark's account, this is a, a, a two-part story. The first part, found in verses 1 through 6, uh, is, about the, uh, is about obtaining the cult on which Jesus will ride into the holy city. And that can seem a little bit random to us as 21st century Christians, but for a first century audience, this would have been laden with meaning because it was the fulfillment of a prophecy. The prophet Zechariah had said, 
Rejoice greatly, O daughter Zion. Shout aloud, O daughter Jerusalem. Lo, your king comes to you triumphant and victorious. Is he humble and riding on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a donkey? Jesus here is very clearly connecting his own ministry with the prophecy of Zechariah. Military leaders rode horses, as Pilate was doing on his arrival from the West. Messengers of peace rode donkeys. The triumphant and victorious king would embody humility and peace. And then the second part of the passage in verses 7 to 11 is about the reception that Jesus uh, receives upon arriving in Jerusalem. He was coming from the Mount of Olives, a location associated with the arrival of the Messiah. The prophet Zechariah had predicted this as well. On that day, his feet shall stand on the Mount of Olives, which lies before Jerusalem on the east. As he enters the city, the crowd spreads cloaks and palms before him on the ground. This is reminiscent of Israel's royal processions from its glory days of the kingdom. The people have clearly identified Jesus as the inheritor of David's kingdom. Their cry of Hosanna means save now. Gathered in Jerusalem for the festival commemorating their deliverance from slavery, they see in Jesus God's anointed one who will, who will deliver them once more. And this, of course, is exactly what Pilate feared. <laughs> this, of course, is precisely why Pilate was making his own procession on the other side of the city. This, at least in part, is why the two men will be standing face to face by the end of the week. One embodying the values and worldview of the empire, the other embodying the values and worldview of the kingdom of God. Now later in his 15th chapter, Mark will make very clear that it's the chief priests who incite the crowd to call for Jesus' execution. Those who have gathered on Palm Sunday to hail the arrival of their true king are not necessarily the ones who will call for his death a few days later. Mark is clear about where the guilt truly lies. It's at the feet of the chief priests who had everything to lose, everything to gain rather by maintaining the status quo and everything to lose by the overturning of that status quo because they cooperated with Rome in order to ensure their own status and security. In this moment though, on Palm Sunday, those who suffered under the tyranny of Rome, those who paid the oppressive taxes, those whom Pilate feared enough to temporarily move his headquarters to Jerusalem, the ones with whom Jesus had been in ministry, the ones to whom he had preached a gospel of love and humility and peace, these were the ones spreading cloaks and palm branches before him, imploring him to save them from the power embodied by the tyrant coming to town with his infantry and cavalry and chariots and spears and swords. 
Now, the story of just how Jesus will deliver his people from that tyranny is a story for another day. For today, we ponder the contrast between these two very different processions that made their way through the gates of the holy city on that first Palm Sunday. Two very different processions that embodied two very different sets of values. More importantly, we challenge ourselves with the question of which set of values has the greater influence on our own worldview, our own ideology, our own theology. Because while, of course, we want to identify with the crowds hailing the arrival of the humble and peaceful king on Palm Sunday, the truth is that by any relevant comparison, we are far closer to Rome than we are to the conquered population of first century Judea. In fact, living in the the wealthiest, most influential, most militarily powerful nation on earth, we are in effect citizens of Rome. Now at our best, we are Rome without the exploitation of the poor, without the oppression of the powerless, without the use of violence against our perceived enemies, without the discrimination against religions that are unlike our own. At our best, we're Rome without any of that that darker side. But every human empire, everyone, has the, the potential to slip into darkness sooner or later. It's actually a persistent theme of the Bible from Genesis all the way through Revelation, because we live in a a fallen world full of imperfect sinners who hold political and economic and military power, because human beings are self-seeking and self-serving by inclination, because those things are true, every human society in which one group of people holds power over another group of people, which of course is to say every human society in every place and time has the potential, the temptation even, to resort to exploitation and oppression and violence and discrimination in order to obtain power or hold on to power or get more power. The Bible is, in some ways, one long cautionary tale on this subject. The Egyptians, the Assyrians, the Babylonians, the Romans, even the kings and chief priests of God's own people, Israel. (laughs) Which, of course, means that no nation is immune from the danger of slipping in to the darkness. As followers of Christ, we are called always to be witnesses, to bear witness to the light. We are called to preach his gospel through the way we live our lives. Scripture warns us that this will be a most countercultural way to live, <laughs> that, that faithful living will inevitably at times lead us to a confrontation with what St. Paul calls the powers and principalities of this world one example of which is described in our text from Mark this morning. Because two men made grand entrances into Jerusalem from opposite directions 
at the beginning of Passover that year. Two very different processions that embodied two very different sets of values, two very different visions of the world. One based on fear and power, one based on love and peace. The spiritual challenge of Palm Sunday for us as followers of Christ who are also citizens of Rome is to choose the values of the kingdom of God, to embody and to work for and to seek first the vision for the world given to us by our true king. The great William Sloan Coffin, the the longtime pastor of Riverside Church in New York City and one of the most influential and important preachers of his generation, once said, our business in life is less making something of ourselves than finding something worth doing and losing ourselves in it. (laughs) It seems to me that Palm Sunday is a a vivid illustration of a great truth of our faith in a world with competing sets of values and complete competing visions of what's important and what's meaningful. What God offers us in Jesus Christ is a life worth losing ourselves in. Friends, it's up to us to choose a life of discipleship which is to say a life of following the humble and peaceful king who made his way into the gates of the holy city that day. A life that that preaches through our words and our actions his gospel of love and humility and peace. As we turn our attention to Holy Week and as we make our final preparations for Easter, May we lose ourselves in his way. Amen.